Uh, my name is Nathan. It's good to be here. We've been away the last couple weeks, and it feels like a long time, so it's good to be back. Um, I do want to mention one thing. Uh, if you're married or thinking about being married sometime in your life, um, the, there's some flyers downstairs about Family Life's weekend to remember. It's coming up December. First weekend in December up in Saratoga. Um, my wife and I have been married 16 years, and last year was the first year we finally made it to go to the conference uh, the weekend away. Um, if you're newly married, gentlemen, move a lot faster than I did. All right, that's my hint and my tip for the day. Uh, but it was a phenomenal uh, weekend away for many reasons, but God did some pretty cool stuff for us, for us in our marriage. Um, we were strong and healthy in our marriage, which was great. Um, and it just kind of re reinforced some things and got us ready for a new season in our life. Um, and then there's a couple hundred people that are there. So it's just good to be with people that are um, focused on the gift of marriage. So there's information there. Apparently, just because we went last year and we signed something. You ever go to a conference and you sign up for things and you don't, don't know what you signed up for? Well, apparently, if you use our last name, Monsager, you get a discount to register. I don't know what that means other than you don't have to pay as much. So um, there's information there. It, who's gone to this before? Any couples here that have gone to it? Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's represent City View in December. Sound good? Okay. <laughs> Guess not. <laughs> You'll go? All right, good. I think we're going too, right? Figure out a way to get there. So... Um, we have two big dogs, so they can stay home with the kids. Um, all right, so we are in Daniel chapter 8 today. This is, I believe, week 18, 19, okay? Um, for those of you that are, like, blown away that you can stay on one book of the Bible for that many weeks, um, there's a church uh, pastor that I listen to um, every week, his sermons. They're going through about 46 months of the book of Exodus, so... Um, not quite that long, but it's a lot longer than our 27 weeks or so of going through Daniel. So you can thank us for that. Um, Daniel chapter 8. For those of you that have not been following along in this series, um, we are in the second half of the book now that really gets into the prophecies and looking towards the future when Daniel wrote this stuff down. So we'll talk a little bit about that um, we're doing the first half of Daniel chapter 8, but before we get through the first 14 verses, I actually want to go to the last verse in Daniel chapter 8. Okay, so it's not on the screen if you have your Bibles. So Daniel gets this vision from the Lord, okay, and we're going to go through it and some of the symbols and different things that he sees, but here's what I have to preach on today. This is what Daniel says about the vision that he saw. Verse 27, and, and I, Daniel was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So Daniel himself is literally ill by this vision that God had given him and says he doesn't understand it. So then I read that and then I'm going, all right, so now I get to preach on it, somehow figure out how to explain this. The good thing is we have a couple thousand years of history since then, and you'll see as we go through the first 14 verses of chapter 8 um, that we don't have to be sick because we can see in hindsight what God has done and sh how true his word is. 
So Daniel chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 1, and I'm, what I'm going to do this morning is kind of go a few verses at a time, explain it, and then we'll get through that, that, those 14 verses. Um, just some context, though, we've, we've just finished three weeks on chapter 7, three weeks. Um, so chapter 7 was the vision that God gave to Daniel uh, about two years prior to the one we're going to read now. The Jews are still in captivity. They're still under the reign of Babylon. Um, we're going to see, if you go back to the original language that this was written in, um, chapters 1 through 7 are primarily written in Aramaic. And now from chapter 8, where we start today, all the way through the rest of the chapter, it's written in Hebrew, which is their native language, right? So it's almost as if um, God is giving him these visions, and it's setting the stage for the people of Israel to get ready to leave captivity, prepping them for the future ahead, going back to their land and those kinds of things. So we're not there yet. That's the problem. So as we kind of insert ourselves into chapter 8, I want you to think about the context that Daniel is a leader in this Babylonian empire, right? We read for the first six chapters this history, these great stories, the lion's den, um, the fiery furnace, all these kinds of things. And now we're getting a glimpse into the mind, the heart, the quiet times that Daniel has with the Lord during all of that. And God spoke to him very clearly about what the future would be like. Um, Dr. Chappelle um, says in his book that we've been using um, in preparation for this study, he says, what you believe about Daniel chapter 8 will largely determine what you believe about the rest of Scripture and what God actually promises about the rest of your life. So there's two questions I want to pose to you now, and we'll come back to them at the end. Number one, can God speak supernaturally in his word? That's a question we all have to wrestle with, whether we're believers and followers of Jesus or not yet. But we have to wrestle with this reality. Can God speak supernaturally in his word? And then secondly, can God work supernaturally in your life? Now, the problem with those two questions is we like to see the, the sunny, happy side of them, right? Yes, God can speak supernaturally through his word. But guess what? I don't really like everything he says supernaturally through his word. And then can God work supernaturally in my life? Yes, but I don't really like all the time that he works supernaturally in my life. Because it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's simple. And oftentimes, as we'll see, the implications are grimy, are down and dirty, and there's a calling up and a calling out that God wants us to move towards because it's about him and not us. It's about his kingdom and his glory and not ours. So God's giving Daniel these prophecies, which are these images, these visions, these messages in his dreams. They're given, to God, they're given by God to men. So Daniel is one of the prophets. There's other prophets throughout Scripture that God gives these messages to these men in order for them to paint a picture of things that are to come, to show things, to point people to what is, is coming. So these images, and we're going to see, we've seen the last few weeks, right? Starting with um, Ed, he, he showed images, uh, literal pictures on the screen, and we'll have more of those today because they're painted clearly in this passage. 
and they point us, they speak at levels we can grasp and handle and understand, right? Because what, what Daniel, what the Apostle John would later, all these prophets that are given visions, they have to somehow take what God's given them and put them into a human context. And that's hard. How many of you are dreamers? Like you, you wake up and you can sit and have coffee with eight people and talk about the five dreams you've had in the last five nights, all the details. Anybody like that? Okay. How many of you are like me and you never remember dreams? You remember that was the worst night's sleep. You remember nothing other than I woke up today and that's a miracle, right? Um, so that's me. I don't get this, but if you are a visionary, one of those people that visually has those dreams, you like wake up in sweats, you're running through wherever fields with flowers and deer. <laughs> Here's the thing. When I listen to you tell me the, about your dreams, I think for the first few seconds that I'm actually listening to you, you're crazy. Right? And then I just turn off from there. Except for my wife. When she shares her dreams, I listen with bated anticipation for every word that comes out of her mouth. <laughs> There's a weekend to remember conference. <laughs> if anybody's married or thinking about it. Um, here's what someone says. God does not intend to hide things from us. What we're going to read can sometimes feel like God's trying to hide something from us. Certainly Daniel felt that way, as we just read at the end, where he said he was literally sick to his stomach. But God does not intend to hide things from us. Rather, he, ho he hopes to keep us peering intently ahead in anticipation of tasting the real thing. So I'm hopeful that as we get to look into Daniel chapter 8 today, in hindsight, with history um, in front of us, behind Daniel, we can really see how God pieces things together, and it continues to point us through the rest of this book as we'll read. So let's start with Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa the capital, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. All right, so I totally forget the name of the movie now. Disney movie, the carpet ride, Aladdin, right? I actually found a video clip of that song, but I knew it would be stuck in our minds forever, so I didn't show it today. But you remember that scene where they're on the carpet ride? What's the song they're singing? Yeah, that one. Um, and they're, they're kind of floating across and above all this land and scenery and all these different things, right? That's kind of the image you get here, right? Where, where Daniel is removed out of and overlooking and being transported to a new place. So he's transported to the Ulai Canal, all right? Um, and then we go into to verses 3 and 4. Here's where it gets, gets grimy. I raised my eyes and saw... And behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. 
he did as he pleased and became great. So there's this ram, right? There's an image of it up there, okay? Um, there's this ram that's facing these different directions. He's powerful. Um, he's conquering, right? No one could rescue from his power, it says at the end of verse 4. He did as he pleased, and he became great. So this represented, again, Daniel didn't have a context yet for what this ram represented, other than likely, as much of Daniel is about kingdoms, he knew it represented some kingdom that would have power, right? Now, we get to look back into this with history um, behind us and really say, all right, this was represented the kingdom of, of Medea and Persia, okay? And we read about that in chapter 5, about King Belshazzar, the writing on the wall, and that night, this kingdom came in and took over, right? And they crushed the Babylonian Empire. Um, so we have the ability to see what this ram represented, which was this new kingdom, Medea Persia. And then we go on to verse 5. So that's one kingdom that is going to, what Daniel learns, is going to come in and crush the Babylonian Empire. Then another one's going to come, verses 5 through 7. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. So it's like flying. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns, and the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. So now another kingdom comes in. We had the Babylonian Empire that Daniel is in currently when he's having this vision. Then he has the vision of the ram, which is going to take over the Babylonian Empire, the Medea Persia kingdom. And now this goat with a horn, which is flying and I think needs a cape, right? It's coming in to crush the Medea Persian Empire. And so who does this represent? Again, we get to look back on history, which Daniel did not have, but what this represents is uh, the empire of Greece. And the single horn is one of the greatest um, empire, emperors ever to live, one of the greatest, um, what do you call them, generals or um, army leaders, which is Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great had dominant power, but he died young. So if you go on to verse 8, this goat then became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. So we'll get to the four horns in a second, but this single horn of the goat represented who we now know as Alexander the Great, and he, in a very short amount of time, grew the Grecian Empire all the way across Asia. Okay, so that map represents, he was swift, he was powerful, he was dominant, and then he died. Right? So often we can look back in history and we see great, powerful young leaders. We can look back at sports and they're great young athletes. And then something happens, they get sick, they get injured, and they're done. And so Alexander the Great can be, for us, we can look at him as a great leader but his empire was coming to a close very quick and at a very young age. 
And so then at, when he left, four of his generals stepped up, and that's what these four horns represent. So I'm going to warn you ahead of time, the next image is of a goat with four horns, or a, what is it, a goat or a ram with four horns. I don't even know what it really is because it looks nasty and evil, and you may have nightmares, okay? There's your warning. Verses, starting in verse 9, we'll finish all the way through, okay? Well, let's read verse 9. Out of the one, so out of these four horns, came one little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land, the glorious land representing Israel, God's people, okay? So it's hard to see there. That is a wretchedly ugly animal with four horns, and then you see the little guy with the head sticking up. That's that little horn. And again, we have history to look back on. This guy, this horn, little horn represented Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes. So we'll go with Epiphanes. And he was what we would say, um, I'm not going to use any cruel language. He was a mean guy. How about that? Is that safe enough? PG enough? Okay. Um, he was a jerk. He was mean. He was evil. Um, I'm sure, as has happened many times throughout history, the church would look at a guy like this and say he's the Antichrist. He's the end of the world, Satan in flesh, all these kinds of things. Because we're going to read what he does and who he is. So go on to verse 10. This little guy, this little horn that came out, it grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. So some of the host and the stars representing saints, believers, followers of God, it threw down and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host, that being Satan himself. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown, and a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression, and it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression, transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over to the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. So here's this image of, you know, we have the Medea Persia kingdom, then we have the Grecian kingdom empire comes in with alexander the great then he dies and out of him his four generals rise up and out of that one comes this guy epiphanes and he's evil and he's dark and again you can imagine daniel who has no context of what will come he only has this imagery and these warnings that god has given him in a dream here's what will happen this is what this guy was like the one horn of power commits various abominations. So he's talking about epiphanies. Throwing some of the starry hosts to the ground and trampling them, alluding to the fact that Abraham's descendants, who were to be as numerous as the stars, were vanquished. He set himself up against the prince of hosts, stopping the daily sacrifice, defiling the sanctuary, and throwing truth to the ground. All of this epiphanies did as he invaded Israel. He slaughtered thousands, murdered any 
uncircum- or any circumcised infants, sacrificed a pig on the altar of the Lord, put a statue of Zeus in the sanctuary, and cut up and threw down the holy scroll- scrolls of the law of truth. This is who this guy was. He invaded Israel, that, this sacred land, God's people, God's promised land, and he did evil, evil, dark stuff. And this happened for just over six years. And here's the cool thing, and I know Greg will talk about it next week, is if you do your calculations, just over six years is 2,300 days. So we get to look in on this passage, this vision, this prophecy with history to um, add weight and truth to what God spoke even before it would happen. Something as specific as the number of days that this evil guy would come in and destroy the, the land of Israel and throw his truth to the ground. So here's the thing. I'll let Greg finish the rest of the chapter next week. But I'm sitting here, and I've been studying and wrestling through this stuff for a few weeks now because, to be honest, I like to avoid these kinds of passages because they're so hard for me to understand. Again, I'm not a visionary kind of guy. I don't like dreams and visions, so this is really hard for me to grasp. But as I've been studying it, and thank you, Holy Spirit, for being real, I'm I'm looking at this and, and asking the question, what do we do with it all? And we go back to those first two questions, right? The first two questions we started with, which is, can God speak supernaturally in his word, and can God work supernaturally in our lives? And if we're able to take this imagery that God had given Daniel a couple hundred years before it would even be fulfilled, and we can put in context the history of it all, and the truth, and and the way that it all ties together, For me, this is what happens. The precision of the prophecies that were given hundreds of years before actual events occurred is truly amazing. We are left having to conclude either of two, one of two things. We can conclude that the Bible lies and that these weren't actually prophecies. It's just history written afterwards and framed as prophecy so it makes God sound better. So we can do that. Then we wouldn't believe the Bible as truth. Or... We believe that the Bible is truly supernatural and that God has communicated his word to us in ways that give it profound authority in our lives. So those are our two, for whether you came in here today wanting to wrestle with those two sides of the truth, you have to now. You're welcome. You have to decide, is this true or not? If it is true, if, it, if these words to Daniel in chapter 8 were prophecy, they were given to him a couple hundred years prior to the events actually happening, and then they were fulfilled to the letter, then his word is true. Then God can be trusted. If so, then that has a huge implication on me right here and right now. Here's why. Because what God speaks and what God shows Daniel, and then what we see in, in the hundred years, hundreds of years that unfold, it wasn't fun. Because when God speaks supernaturally through his word, he's raw and he's real. The God we serve 
This Bible that we follow, the Holy Spirit that he's given us in this world to live our lives, is not some, let me come and rescue you and pull you into a bubble and you float above all the chaos of the world so you don't have to feel it or touch it or do anything about it. But his truth, his real truth, throws us into the mess. Daniel had to sit here and try to understand or, or gather these visions and pro- these words that God was giving him and use them as a means to say, it is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. But I know God is real. I know he's true, and I know I can trust him. The reality for us today, and I'll be at the front of the line, especially after the last few weeks I've had, um, I like to cling to things that feel good. I'd rather uh, listen to sermons and have um, people encourage the fact that I just want life to be comfortable and simple and perfect. It's that coffee cup Christianity, right? So we pull these, these verses out of the context of what they are and we throw them on a coffee cup for God knows the plans he has for us, plans to prosper us and give us a hope and a future. And then, you know, I get all warm inside and I just go off and conquer the world. Except those were words in the context of Scripture that was given in captivity, in pain, in suffering. It was a promise, but it was to promise towards the future. But I like the coffee cup Christianity, right? I, I want to just have life be comfortable and simple, and there's no pain, there's no suffering. It's all good. Of course, I can't actually turn on a television then or read a newspaper or be around any other human being because as soon as I'm around other human beings, I realize you're all messed up. I'm perfect and comfortable, but now your messiness is going to make my life messy. And then we, we choose, well, if, if we're going to kind of be here and listen to this guy talk, um, then I don't like that, so I'm going to go follow some other religion or go to some other place where this kind of what they call truth isn't preached, but I can stand or I can sit and listen to a guy while the cameras are on him, and he can promise that if I do X, Y, and Z and give a certain amount of dollars, then my life is, I'm going to become a millionaire really quick. Right? I'm never going to have a sickness or disease, and life's going to be perfect. And everybody's going to like me. Here's, here's what I propose today. All of those are just blindfolds. All of those things are just, I'm going to cover my eyes and pretend none of it's real. Go, why don't you do that for a second? Don't fall asleep, though. Just cover your eyes. I hear there was a hurricane, but it's not real because I can't see it. I know my neighbors got cancer, but it's not real because I can't see it. I know my marriage is struggling, but it's not real because I can't see it. Take the blindfold off. It's foolish, right? Just because we try to cover up and choose not to see things doesn't mean they're not real. 
And here's the implication for the, from this passage for me this week, and I believe for us as a church and a community of believers, is that we have to remove the blindfolds and recognize that life is real. And if that's the case, then I need a real God with real truth and with real power to deal with the real life that I'm in. I'd rather choose to see things as they really are and cling to something that deals with life as it really is and then align my life to that truth rather than play games with feel-good fakeness. See, that what I love about Scripture, and I've been following Jesus for 20 years and uh, been around church my whole life, what I love now as a believer about Scripture is that it's true. That it hits us where we really live. See, the Bible is grimy and dangerous and raw and shocking and authentic to the human condition. Jesus is not shocked by the hell you're going through. And he proved that by coming to the hell we live in here on earth. And he wants to be with us in it. Because there is a promise, and we're going to see that represented through the rest of this this book of Daniel. We're going to see it as we travel through Scripture and dig into the truth of God's Word, that there is a hope beyond this world. So if I choose the answer that I really want to follow that second question, that, that God's Word is true, that it has implications, profound implications on my life, Then Dr. Chappelle says this, If God has thus spoken, then his word has far more authority over our lives than we may wish. And his far-reaching knowledge is far more real than we may want on the days that we want to go our own way. So like Daniel, like John, like Jesus, like Abraham, Moses, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Martin Luther, John Calvin like so many others throughout the history of the world. We choose the God who holds, holds all of history, all of creation, all of these kingdoms that were represented up there, with all the violence and death, the brokenness, the failures, the sin, all of that in there, because we can trust a God that has a bigger picture, his kingdom is bigger, He himself is bigger. He's in time, beyond time, before time, and he promises us ultimate freedom, ultimate victory, and ultimate peace. And we may not feel it here, but we can know it for the future. All of us sitting here today, because we are breathing, are going through pain to some degree or another. And it can be hard. And it's not fun. It's real. And yet God wants to show us again and again in his word, through his word, that he wants to be in there with us. I want to turn to 1 John chapter 5 near the end of the Bible. Because there was another great leader of our faith. 
John, an old, I always envision this old, white-haired, long-beard guy that has been, um, he followed Jesus in person, and now he's on this island of Patmos in captivity. He's, he's been in the environment of the Roman Empire. Emperor Nero has been persecuting and murdering and executing thousands of believers. John himself had been boiled alive. They tried to kill him by throwing him in a pot. It didn't work. Now he's um, on this island by himself in his old age. And God visits him, right? The book of Revelation, he wrote because they're prophecies, visions that God gave him just like God gave to Daniel. But he also writes these letters to believers. And, and I love 1 John because this is a letter of this old guy who's been through hell and back. And now he's quietly on this island by himself waiting for his life to come to an end but not wasting his time writing these letters of passion and concern and care for other believers. And he says in John chapter five, or 1 John chapter 5, the first few verses, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? There's our promise. We'll see as we go through the rest of Daniel, there's these these arrows pointing to this promise. We may not escape the pain and the brokenness and the, the hard things that happen in our lives and in this world, but we have overcome. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have been rescued, as Greg said earlier, as we've been rescued by that blood that was shed, that gave us an opportunity to come into relationship with God the Father, if we have been rescued, we are overcomers. We have a hope that's beyond this world. Whoever has the Son has life, he says down in verse 12. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So I want to remind us, I want to remind myself that in the places you're at right now, Maybe you're listening to this going, wow, Nathan, you must have had a bad few weeks. All these people must have had a bad few weeks. I'm doing really well. I just got a promotion. I just got engaged. Whatever the case is, I'm going to weekend to remember. You're happy. Life is good. I'm glad. What is it, the old saying that you're either kind of in the midst of something, you've just come out of something, or you're about to go through something, Right? So I'm not, I'm not saying, get ready, the end of the world's coming, right? Um, I'm just saying, I'm glad, because I need your strength and joy right now. But don't dismiss the reality that life is hard. And don't, please, please don't dismiss the reality 
that God wants to be in the hard stuff of life with you. That the truth of his word, as we've seen as these prophecies and, and the history we get to see on the backside, he is true and he is faithful. But it doesn't mean people don't die. It doesn't mean sickness doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that sin runs rampant in our world and in our neighborhoods and in our families. But we have this steadfast hope that can allow us to stand, as Paul will say, in his letters to the church, and stand. And when we can't have the strength to stand, then we stand. So what Daniel is reminded of when he gets these visions is to remain faithful no matter the darkness of his current day. Remember, when he got those visions, he was still in captivity. There was no hope yet of rescue and redemption and return to the promised land. And yet God was encouraging him as a leader, as an influencer, as a writer of scripture to remain faithful even though the days are dark. And if today, I would assume that many of us are facing some dark situations, the hope of scripture, the hope of Jesus is that he came into that mess and he gave us his spirit and he, he's a, his spirit allows us to take this word and uh, translate it into our realities. It is not something on the shelf that's a history book. It doesn't connect with me. If you allow it and if you allow Jesus to do that work, he builds this into us in a way that's real. It allows us to deal with things in a way that honors Jesus. Let's pray. God, if we've been aware of the news feeds and the stories around our nation and around this world, in our own neighborhoods, in our own families, we recognize there is sin and brokenness and pain. And so today, we thank you that your gospel is not removed from that, but your good news injects itself into that mess. And we as your followers, as your children, are called to be empowered in that place to serve, to seek justice, to love those that seem unlovable, to lead, to influence, to proclaim your truth where there is no truth, where it's trampled upon. God, you've called us to be voices in the darkness. For those this morning that don't have a relationship with you, they may feel like there's no hope in all of this darkness. God, I pray that you will speak to their hearts now. That those words of John will seep deeply in that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, he has overcome. Energize us, encourage us, give us joy and peace in the midst of the chaos. We can't manufacture it on our own. And please forgive us when we've tried to just seek comfort and perfection and money 
and the things that we think are going to remove us from the pain. Forgive us, Jesus, and give us eyes that are wide open. I pray now that even as we go to the table and we take that juice and we take that bread as symbols of the reality that you came to us in the midst of our mess, God, we can celebrate with hearts of joy, of thankfulness and gratitude, but also hearts remembering the cost, the price that was necessary for us to even breathe this morning. I pray, Jesus, now that as we come to, to the table, that we take that, that bread that represents your body broken and destroyed on our behalf, that juice that represents your blood that had to flow for our rescue, for our justification. God, it would empower us for the days and moments and weeks ahead. You are good. You are faithful. You are true.